Welcome to All Things Beer, a Pat's Pints Mark's Mugs podcast. I'm Pat Woodward. And I'm Mark Richards. Each month, we are joined by brewers, enthusiasts, and friends to explore the techniques, the culture, and the history of mankind's best invention. So grab a beer and join us as we discover a world of all things beer. Well, Pat, we're back for another podcast. Yes, we are. Looking forward to this one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we have got some very special guests, Justin Reich. Uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Can you believe that ball drop? Yeah. Let's hope 2021 is a little better year than uh, 2020. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully it can only get better. We'll see. And Chris Merce-Hill. How's it going? The token Canadian to the podcast. As usual. Representation is everything. That's right. So this month, we're going to be talking about beer glassware, beer drinking vessels, and why one should care, right, Chris? Yeah, that's what I'm here to find out. I mean, I have a fabulous collection of shaker pints with pithy slogans screen printed on them that I absolutely love, and I'm not uh, that keen to go buy full sets of glassware for all the different beers I enjoy, unless we find out today that it makes a significant difference, so... I'm a little bit skeptical, but I'm here to learn. Well, it's always good to be driven by the evidence. So we'll go through the examples today, and we'll see where the evidence takes us. Fantastic. I might add that when you look at it from that point of view, and then you look at the function of glassware, it's probably useful to think about your senses, your sensory experience when you have a beer. Right? So you've got a visual. What does a beer look like? You've got an olfactory. What does the beer smell like? And then you've got the taste of the beer, obviously, which is kind of hard to disentangle from the aroma, to be honest. And then finally, you've got a tactile sensation, what the glass feels like when you bring it up to your lips, which is definitely different than drinking out of a can. No question. I'm all about enjoying beer more. So if glassware helps me do that, I'm in. But still a little skeptical. Fair enough. Of those senses, and I guess there's a fifth sense, hearing, yeah, there's no comment line on a BJCP score sheet for the audible sound of a beer. Yet. Right. So that's something we're working on at Land Grant currently is helium beer and the carbonation just has a completely different sound. So <laughs> Mr. Balloon Hands takes on an all new meaning now. Exactly. We're only putting it in Mr. Balloon Hands. Um <laughs> And does your voice get higher after you consume it? Is that part of the experience? We might find out here today. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Well, I can tell you that helium has a very small Henry's Law constant, so even less soluble than nitrogen in beer. So I am uh, intrigued. If you did that, and I know we're getting off the rails already. (laughs) Always a good sign. Yeah, if you did that, would you have to put... Um, similar to what like Guinness would do with, uh, uh, I forget the name of it. The, the widget? Widget, yep. Would you have to put that in the can with a helium beer? Well, the widget is really just a nucleation site. Even in a Guinness, I mean, the nitrogen is going to come out whether that widget's Regardless, in there or not, yeah. but it just probably comes out in a little bit different way. I would just say helium is going to be closer to nitrogen than it would be to CO2. So yeah. I would say in the helium beers of the future, you should look for a widget. <laughs> Okay. I'm looking forward to the next episode where we compare widget shapes and the effect on our perceived appreciation (laughs) of helium-infused beers. I hope I'm invited back for that one. That will be a 2022 podcast, I think. I can't wait. That's why I subscribe to the podcast. We'll pencil you in, Chris. Fantastic. Now, of the other four senses, which ones 
one or ones do you think are most profoundly influenced by the glassware? Definitely visual. That's probably the first thing that comes to note for me. Though I do love like a good can artwork. You're not really appreciating the beer for what it is by drinking it out of a can because you're not even seeing what you're drinking. But I think something we're probably going to get into here in a bit with a lot of these different glasses is the olfactory is probably going to be the biggest one that's going to jump out, especially Chris, I'm assuming that's going to be the big one for you is that being able to smell the beer instead of out of the mouth hole on a can glasses that are specifically designed to emphasize certain smells and characteristics from each beer. Oh, no question. I don't disagree with pouring a beer into a glass makes a huge difference over a can or a bottle. But what I'm here to find out is, is there a big difference between different shapes and types of glasses? I mean, no question, pouring a beer into a glass. For me, I feel like that's probably 90 or 95% of the battle. And so do we have to worry about which glass we're pouring it into as long as the glass is clean? I don't know. But I think, yeah, the olfactory is probably where the shape might have the greatest effect. If the hole on the glass is smaller and it concentrates things, you can stick your nose in and get a bigger uh, whiff of what's going on. I, I could see that as being probably one of our biggest factors for sure. So one of the things that we haven't talked about yet, I guess this would come down to a feel thing, is the temperature of the beer. And so there are certain aspects of glassware that are designed so that the beer doesn't get too warm, right? Yeah, that's a fair point where I think the shaker might have its drawbacks, which is why we throw them in the freezer, right, Mark? Frost them up. That's the way to go, I'm told. Uh, not necessarily my preference. Okay, if I you're was... drinking at Coors Light, though, I am not. it's got to be in a chilled glass. Mountain chilled? Yeah, yeah that's oh, not what I'm gotta here for. It's got to be blue. <laughs> now, while we're on this topic, maybe I'm going to take this opportunity to interject a, a little science into the discussion, and that is to say that glass is an extremely good thermal insulator. All right, so if you wanted something to stay at the same temperature, glass is a really good choice. Right. Would the thickness of the glass make it a greater or lesser insulator, or the fact that glass is an insulator anyway? Would thinner glasses be warmed up by your hands faster? I imagine they would. Yes, they would. All things equal, the thinner the glass, the more that what's on the outside is going to get through to the liquid. Yeah. Right. Now, the flip side of that, and we might talk about this later when we're talking about some of the new Spiegel out glasses and things is that they're very thin. If the glass is at a different temperature than the beer when you put it in, let's say you don't put your glasses in the freezer, then, you know, there will be some thermal mass to it. And so a thicker glass has more thermal mass and on its own could warm the beer up more. Yes. Sure. So those are kind of two different things. How much does the glass itself warm up the beer and how much does it protect the beer from warming up due to your hand. Interesting, yeah. But of course, some developments that we will talk about later, you know, like a handle or a stem, kind of part of their purpose, the handle, the whole purpose of that probably is so that you don't warm up the beer because you don't have to put your hand right on where the liquid is being held. Right, right. Now, conversely, metals are really good conductors of heat. And so when you're drinking out of the can, you definitely would expect that beer to warm up faster than if you poured it into a glass, assuming the glass and the can were at the same temperature to begin with. For people who don't know, we've decided to make this episode one where each guest got to pick a glass. And when That's we get right. to that glass, then you're going to bring out the beer that goes with that glass. And there's going to be also 
a story and a song to go with it. Is that correct, Mark? That's correct. So everyone has their song in mind that embodies the spirit of the beer in the glass and also their glassware of choice and a surprise beer of choice too. So first we're going to get into a little bit of geography, a little travel. And this first glass is going to take us to the UK. Let's and go. the glass is the Tulip Pint, sometimes called an Imperial Pint, but I think that's more an indication of measurement. I have also heard this pint glass called the Irish Pint Glass, too. And very well known for Guinness. Yeah. So I think when we get to each glassware, we should maybe just briefly describe it for people who can't be here to see it, right? So what does this glass look like, the Tulip Pint, Mark? It's like a straight-up glass It starts a little narrower at the bottom, flanges out at the top in kind of a tulip shape. Yeah. Now, does it have a little bit of a taper back in? Because I think for me to call it a tulip, you would expect there must be just the slightest taper back in. Yes, sir. It's got nice curves. It's a good looking glass. It's got curves. And you know, the uh, Nonic Pint, which we'll also mention here in a moment after we get a beer poured, I think sometimes these are a little more comfortable if you have baby hands. (laughs) <laughs> to not to have to have quite a fat pint to hold on That's to. That's right. The Nonic pint has a little bulge midway up the top part, right? Well, let's get some beer in this glass, I think, right? Yes, sir. So, Justin and Chris, would you like to guess? None of us know what Mark's beer is. What beer might be going into this tulip pint? My guess was going to be Guinness. I mean, that seems like an obvious answer, which is probably why it's not going to be the answer. Probably a nice stout to start. Maybe something lighter. Probably something British. Samuel Smith's oatmeal stout. Look at this guy. We could do a lot worse than that, couldn't we? Justin gets it. it? Well, Well, indeed it is. And I chose this brewery. One, because when I started getting an interest into home brewing, these were kind of the beers that I was drawn to in the uh, early 90s were imported beers you could get some german beers you could get some english imports australian you had some esbs that were available uh fuller's maybe for one you had uh what is it whitbread right yep whitbread uh the occasional baltic porter porter that's right so this is one that i could get and actually i tried to get the taddy porter today and wylands was out taddy porter was the beer that was the first beer I was trying to brew was just an English porter and based off of Taddy Porter at that time. So that would have been in 1996. And of course, actually, you and I have some memories associated with uh, drinking some Samuel Smith's, if you recall. That's right. So, Pat, while you were living abroad, I came over to see you in Durham, England. We got to go to a Sam Smith Tide House. Yes, we did. My local, basically, we walked down the hill to a place called the Coal Pits, and <laughs> uh, Durham is historically a big coal mining area. And so presumably this would have been a place that attracted, you know, the workers from the mines. And uh, man, just great Sam Smith's beer off the beer engine. And so cheap. cheap. Oh, my God. What was it for a pint? It was something like two pound 90 or something like it was less than three pounds for a pint. Yeah. And just by Would point you- of comparison, like a typical pint in the London area might cost six pounds or something like that. How much is that in U.S. dollars? You know, the exchange rate goes up and down a little bit, but less than $4. Wow. So I actually have a Samuel Smith's pint glass here, and it's marked near the top. And so you're supposed to fill it up to that mark, and that leaves maybe close to an inch for the head. Kind of interesting fact, 
when you go to the UK, and I think this is also the same in, in Ireland, maybe much of Europe, but certainly in the UK, this is all regulated, right? So the glasses have to be marked, and it used to be they have to have the stamp of the queen or something on it, you know, so there's a certain mark that has to be on the glass. And it's starting to change now, but even when I was still over there, beer could only be served in one pint, half pint, or a third pint, right? So you could not serve a beer in a glass of a different size. That's against the law. But I think that has since changed. Now, you could presumably serve it in a different shaped glass, but as long as it fit those measurements, correct? Yeah, the shape of the glass was not prescribed, but I think the glasses had to have a mark so the customer could tell that you had filled it up to the proper point. You know, if you have to make some laws, we've got some pretty asinine ones out there. I'm not so sure that knowing you're getting the amount of liquid that you're paying for when you're buying a beer is a bad law for me. Yeah, quite frankly, I mean, in the U.S., when you order a pint, you don't always know what that pint is going to be, right? Pretty I mean, loose, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And it would be a big service to all of us if we knew that you left a little space on the top for the head. So that was always something, like, I used to bartend before I became a brewer. The thought was always to leave two fingers of head on each glass. But like we were just talking about a little bit ago, you get the certain person that will come in and be like, hey, why is there foam? <laughs> hey, <on?"> man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, can you fill that up all the way? And you're like, no, this is like part of it. Like that is, that is perfectly good beer. Yeah, it's true. And so now for the other part of the game, the song that embodies this beer. So my song of choice and driven by the color of this beer is uh, ACDC's Back in Black. And I think the reason I chose that song is because they have a new album that just came out in the last couple months. Pretty darn good, too, for uh, some old guys. Glad they can still do it. Brian Johnson's back. His hearing's fixed. He had some hearing damage. Uh, he's also a race car driver, so... Although you would think it was from the concerts, it was from his race cars. I did uh, not know that. Was it tinnitus? Was it severe tinnitus? Is that what it was? That's right. And, and I've listened to him speak on a couple podcasts where he's talking about you know what it was like. And he just couldn't hear any tune whatsoever. So it was kind of weird that he had to step out. And also weird that Axl Rose took over <laughs> so they could finish the tour, which was kind of unusual. But that's been a few years now. And they're back with an album called Power Up. It's pretty good. It's worth a listen. They've got a song called Shot in the Dark. So there's one more for dark beer. Yeah. And uh, not only Brian Johnson, but Phil Rudd and Cliff Williams. So kind of back to the back in black lineup, Angus as always, and Stevie Young, who's filled in for Malcolm in his previous years of time in rehab. Now that Malcolm is dead, though, rest in peace. Yeah, it's great to have a little good news on Brian Johnson there. And maybe just a, another connection to the northeast of the UK. Of course, uh, Brian Johnson's from Newcastle, or at least that's where he was living and performing when ACDC brought him in. So up in the north with Sam Smith there. Sam Smith uh, is in Yorkshire, so not quite so far north, but you know, yeah. still the north. And I guess Phil Red got off on his. Uh, he, he was he was up for charges for trying to get someone murder? killed, right? That's right. right. That's on right. Dirty deeds done. Yeah. Dirt cheap. <laughs> Well, we want to just keep uh, rolling around the British Isles while we're over here. Yeah, let's talk about some other British glasses. Maybe we should go back a little bit to the, the Nonic pint. It's a bit wider 
than the base of the tulip pint. And it's like a straight up pint glass, but it has a slight bubbling at the top where it bows out. And I'm sure most people have seen that somewhere. Specifically designed to prevent the top rim of the glass chipping. Though it was done just to protect them during washing. Practical, you know. It's also a good grip, though, for your hand, the nonic pint. It doesn't slip out. Yeah. yeah, it's like perfect. So that's what we use for most of our beers at Land Grant. It is so nice having that grip on it. <laughs> so some other glasses around the UK, and a pub mug is pretty standard. You know, I mean, it could be glass, used to be pewter. You could put, I think, just about any style can go in that. Sometimes glassware is not as selective in the UK anyway. It's kind of based on where you're at. Well, it is true that in the UK, you wouldn't find 16 different types of glasses uh, at an establishment. You know, oftentimes there'd just be one or two. That's right. We're not in Belgium yet. And <laughs> they have a glass for every beer there. So you've got a snifter, which is uh, kind of like a, a pork glass, you know, mm-hmm. uh, great for barley wines, barrel aged beers, and imperial stouts. So a snifter would be almost fishbowl shaped. I mean, that's an exaggeration, of course, but. Fairly close, but one that's even more fishbowl-shaped is the schooner and very large sherry goblet-like glass. And that is truly like a big fishbowl. And they are thick, too. I think the only bar in Columbus that has those might be Chumley's. And I don't know whether they still do. Really? Right. That was... I remember seeing them there. I think Wednesday or Thursday nights, they would have schooner night where you could Mm -hmm. get a 32-ounce craft beer for... $5, which, as a college kid at the time, popular. that was great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Isn't there something that you could keep the schooner, and then so then you would bring your glass back? But that was always the issue with schooner night, was taking that big glass back to an apartment somewhere. (laughs) Stumbling out of that bar and carrying that thing was, uh, was a mess. I think I broke two of them in college. And they're counting on that. I mean, keeps you coming back, buying more schooners. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I did for about a year. So, Well, shout out to all the listeners in Bloomington, Illinois, where I used to live, right down the road from a place called Schooners. Oh. Definitely some of the best corn fritters I've ever tasted. And they were named Schooners, and they had the big gobbledy mugs as well. Super thick glass, super big. So uh, if you're ever in Bloomington, Illinois, stop by Schooners for a schooner of beer. And the corn fritters cannot be missed either. Do they serve the corn fritters in a schooner? I never experienced them that way intentionally. <laughs> you know, two, three schooners in, you're willing yeah. to try just about anything. Uh-huh. Now, while we were preparing for this podcast, I reached out to a friend of the pod, Nick Smith, over in the UK, and asked him a little bit about some of the rules and laws on British glassware. But he directed Mark and I to the Wikipedia page on Australian beer. And it turns out that in Australia, there's also a schooner. Schooner is the term for the volume of beer. So a schooner pint is a 15-ounce pint just about everywhere in Australia. But they've got all kinds of crazy uh, names for pints of 4-ounce, 5-ounce, 6-ounce, 7-ounce, 10-ounce, 12-ounce, 15-ounce, and (laughs) 20-ounce pints. And they're called different things in different states. So Now, how are they pints if they all (laughs) vary in volume? If you want me to explain Australians to you, that's going to be a whole other podcast. I might need another beer for that one. Yeah, yeah. This uh, is why Angus spins in circles on the stage when he plays guitars. He's just so confused over the pint system over there. He's trying Australia. to convert to metric, and it's just a big pain. 
So I'm going to go with the names that are used in Perth, and I'm going to start from the smallest one and go up to the largest one. So the smallest one is called a Shetland. That's the four-ounce pint. And then... A uh, wee pony. The next one is called a pony. Ah. <laughs> the Shetland is a small pony. That all yeah. makes sense. Then, then you go up to a bobby. And then when you get to the seven-ounce container of beer, that's just called a glass. So if you ask for a glass of beer in Western Australia, you're going to get seven, a seven ounces. ounces. And then you go to the midi, which is a, a half pint. And that kind of makes sense, 10 ounces. Then if you get up to 15 ounces, it's a schooner. And finally, if you get the full 20 ounces, that would be a pint. You heard it here first. That's a lot. I'll Why? take two Shetlands and a midi. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're at the racetrack. <laughs> a little bit. Well, do we know of anything else over there in the UK? Any other glasses? There's going to be some crossover on this. One is the yard. Has anybody had a yard? I have. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually personally. I mean, I know about it, but I haven't tried it. Chris, how I've about a, you? I've had a half yard. Okay, well, that's half as good. So a yard is a yard of beer, this glass is three feet long or tall, however you want to look at it. It depends on how you're tipping it at the time. (laughs) It originated in 17th century England. This glass is basically a 17th century beer bong. So it comes in like a wood cradle that's three foot tall. And then when you drink this, I mean, it's like drinking out of a trumpet backwards with a ball full of beer at the end. So... Once you hit the tipping point, it's going down. Yeah, yeah. You're either wearing it or drinking it. So mm-hmm. even back then, they were thinking of fast ways to uh, get through a <laughs> yeah. beer. Now, where did you have one, Justin? I have two of them. Oh, you do? Wow. So I actually, for a bit, had a Christmas tradition where one of my friends and I would drink yard glasses of uh, 12 Dogs of Christmas by Thirsty Dog. Wow. And watch... Uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, because that's what adults do. Right. Yeah, that was a mess, so we stopped doing that. (laughs) Now, how many dogs in a yard? Again, I'm used to metrics, so these uh, measurements are foreign to me. It was barrel-aged 12 dogs of Christmas, but they came in, uh, I don't think it's, I don't remember the size of the bottle, but it's like a very large bottle. Like a 22 ounce? No, bigger than that. Like a a 750 milliliter, like a 25 ounce? I think it was even bigger than that. I don't remember. Oh, magnums. There's something called a magnum, which is like uh, So we would do that, and you could split that into two yard glasses. Wow. Okay. That's a big bottle of beer. It's huge. So... It was like $75 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, a yard of barrel-aged beer, I mean, you're not messing around. So, barrel-aged 12 dogs, I don't think is more than 10%. I don't think it, I mean, not to a say modest that that's 10%. not a, I'm, Not to say that that's not a lot of alcohol, but it's not. Uh, yeah, it's not ridiculous, like 11% beer or something. I mean, it's reasonable. I don't, I don't know the ABV on barrel-aged 12 dogs, but like I said, I've, I've grown. I've moved on. I don't do it anymore. Well, but I don't if you know. guys want to bring it back, I, I'm for it. The, and start wow. the tradition. Yeah, I'm for it. Maybe next time you're on, you know, we'll have to do that. So, I think uh, my class is empty, though. Yeah, I think it's time to get the hell out of the UK. Let's do it. Yep. So, moving into Belgium brings us to the tulip glass indeed it does and that is my glass oh man Uh, it's a beautiful glass 
but I think let's get some beer in the glass, and then we'll talk about Belgium. And when we're talking glassware, we could talk for a while about Belgium. Oh, indeed. Would you gentlemen care to guess this beer? Because Justin did get the last one. Then I guess I should say that I did reveal this is in a can. Hmm. Well, it's definitely a clue. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to get it right, but I can probably take a shot in the dark. I don't know. Who's going first? Am I going first? I think you're guessing. You're the one that got it right last time. I would have had no clue. Um, man, I don't know. Uh, and does I'm, it have to be Belgian? It, it doesn't no. necessarily have to be. It could be just Belgian style. I'm trying to think of any canned Belgian beer. It is Belgian, by the way. Uh, Rodenbach Grand Cru. That was actually going to be my one shot in the dark, too. They have started canning recently. I was embarrassed to say I'm not sure if it's Belgian. My northern European countries blend together a little bit. But they have started canning. That's a tasty beer. I wouldn't mind holding the stem of a tulip and enjoying one of those. I'm ready for the reveal, Pat. All right. I will bring it out. Think pink Uh, elephants. That's great. And this is the Delirium Tremens. I forgot they can that. They can a lot of beers now. Would everyone like a 16-ounce DT? I I would indeed. We didn't come here for the money. (laughs) If I don't total a yard of beer, I'm not leaving. (laughs) Stack them up. Thank you, Pat. Now, this is a little bit breaking the fourth wall, but we did have to postpone this podcast due to some hangover issues. And uh, this would have been a good beer even for a hangover, right? Hair of the dog and all that. I mean, but do you guys know what? Delirium tremens means it is, I think, the shakes, shakes. Th- that yep. you have. Tremens have. like tremors. Yeah, yeah. for an alcoholic, when you haven't had alcohol in enough time, you get the shakes. And it comes now in the lovely blue can with a pink elephant on it. Really great branding, I have to say. Yep. The story behind this beer, this is going to be a very international story. So we're here in the middle of America drinking a Belgian beer. But my story that goes with this beer actually takes place in Tokyo in uh, Yokohama for a, a conference a few years ago during the summer. Yokohama is kind of like adjacent to Tokyo. And I had an afternoon off and I'm like, I'm going to go see Tokyo and uh, also try and check out the beer scene as best I can. And so I went to a museum and I went to this certain part of town where they have a million kinds of electronics and uh, uh, manga everywhere. And then also you've got your occasional maid cafe. Do you guys know about maid cafes? I do not. Why don't you tell us? <laughs> I, I, I think the name almost makes it self-explanatory, but go ahead, and, go ahead and walk us through it, Pat. Well, and I didn't, I just want to be on the record, I did not visit a maid cafe, but I read about them. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what that would be. I think basically you just go in and like there is an attractive woman who acts as your maid, She is like, like a French maid. And, you know, she treats you with respect and she, I don't, I don't actually know exactly what happens in a maid cafe. What and I'm kind not of sure respect did she treat you with, Pat? I, so you could go to Japan to meet a Japanese woman dressed as a French maid and drink a Belgian beer? I mean. <laughs> you, I'm told that you could do this. Uh, however, Allegedly. I did not, I did not do that. By the way, I don't, I think it's just that. I don't think it goes any further than the uh, cordial service and everything. You're but, just drinking the beer. Uh, uh, now, a- what do you What do you mean by cordial service? <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, this is turning into an X-ray podcast this month. This story already is going off track. Anyway, the first place I went was a place called 
Hitachino Nest Brew Lab. You probably have seen Hitachino Nest beers because you can get Absolutely. Them. That's really cool. And those are very good beers. That place was a venerable sake brewery, and then they branched out in, I think, the late 90s in, into making beer. They make really good beer. And so I went there in that brew lab, which is kind of like a tiny little place, and it was also a brew-your-own thing. I have a friend who's in Japan, and he we were going to get together, and then something came up. He couldn't come meet me, but he said... Well, you could drink Japanese beer if you want, but I would recommend that you go to the Delirium's Cafe while you're in Tokyo. And so that's all you need to say. Yeah, Um, that's a good call. Now, the other thing is, though, navigating in Tokyo is not so easy. So I didn't have cell service there, so I could only, you know, do Wi-Fi. And also in Japan, they don't, the streets don't have names, which also makes it a little bit tricky. I mean, I guess the Japanese figure this out, but really, literally, if you even go to Google Maps, you know, it'll give you directions, but there's no street names in those directions. So what I would have to do is go from place that had Wi-Fi to Wi-Fi, and then I'd write down, like, how to get to the next place, which is not necessarily a sure-proof way to do things. But in between the Hitachino Nest Brew Lab and the Delirium's Cafe, I decided to take a little detour to go see the uh, Budokan, so the... Nippon Budokan, right, is this, for Westerners, right, this really famous concert hall in the middle of Tokyo. And I just wanted to go see it. Like, I'd listened to so many albums that had been recorded there. Maybe the most famous one might be the Cheap Trick album. But actually, the first musical artist to play in the Budokan was the Beatles, as it turns out. Hmm. And this was kind of controversial, because actually what it was built for is for martial arts. So... Different martial arts happen there. It's an octagonal-shaped building. Um, but I have always been a big fan of the Michael Schenker Group album, Live at the Budokan. So, so you know, good. It is, yeah, a classic from the 80s. Anyway, I went to the Budokan, and then from that, then I somehow managed to find my way back to the subway system. Interesting fact, there are two independent subway systems run by different companies in Tokyo. Wow. And if you get on the wrong one, it's kind of confusing because you're like, oh, my map doesn't even work for this one. <laughs> I'm but, feeling like you may have gotten on the wrong train. <laughs> I, did, I did, but I, I rectified the situation, and then I made it to the Delirium Cafe there in Tokyo, and I had, uh, I don't know if I had this beer, actually. The first beer I had was a triple Carmelite that they had okay. uh, on tap. And then the second beer I had was a Cantillon uh, in the bottle. Mm. And uh, you know, I had some mussels and some pommes frites. And then I was talking to the bartender as best I could. You know, we didn't really... Sp- <laughs> I don't speak Japanese. <laughs> At that point, and, as best you could. Well, okay, yeah, the language barrier. <laughs> it's a language right. barrier I'm That's talking about. Yeah. We're asking about the <laughs> maid bars. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Trying to get more information. <laughs> it's like, where are, are there any maid bars around this part? You know? <laughs> yeah, they were very easy to communicate, but <laughs> yeah. this bartender couldn't get a word in. <laughs> Pat, I've experienced that same language barrier with you <laughs> historically on a few nights. It, it can happen. Uh, <laughs> and I, I was trying to ask, like, what is the most popular beer that they serve there? And then before I knew it, I had a Lindemann's Creek, uh, in, in, which, isn't, which isn't such a bad. It's not such a bad but beer. I, but I figured at that point maybe. It's a good having, dessert beer. Having yep. a, a, a delirium Tremens before I made the two-hour journey on the subway back to my hotel might not be the best thing. <laughs> Only two hours because you were planning on getting on the wrong subway again. <laughs> no, it, well, it, it was literally 90 minutes when I knew which way I was going. I mean, Tokyo is, is a big city. I, so, no, I didn't get too lost on the way home, I don't think. Now, I haven't revealed my song. That's the third, the trifecta that goes together. And so the song I'm going to pick, I could pick many songs that were associated with the Budokan, right? But uh, I'm going to pick 
Cry for the Nations by the Michael Schenker group. It's awesome. Because that, that song, not everyone will know it, I'm pretty sure, is, I don't know, I think it might be about Nostradamus, but it's about somebody who lived a long time ago and made predictions about sort of bad things that were going to happen in the future. And I feel like we've just been living through one of those years that might have been one of the predictions in that wow. song. Wow, isn't Happy that Happy New truth? Year, everybody. That's right. Happy New Year, <laughs> guys. Year. Cheers. This one is on the album we did the last time. Well, this is a beautiful beer. It's a lovely bright yellow. I'm enjoying watching the bubbles float up and come off the surface of the glass. We're drinking it out of a tulip. I get to hold it by the stem to not change the temperature from my body heat. Although sometimes, you know, beers the experience changes with different temperatures. So sometimes you like to experience that. But tell me why I would enjoy this beer more drinking out of a tulip than just a pint glass in my kitchen. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I wanted to emphasize to me when I think about different glassware, the tulip encompasses one of the key things. And probably the tulip glass is the one I use the most at home. And that is it's tapered so that it comes up to the top. And if you have a narrower opening, it helps to hold in the aromas. And so if you have a glass that has a very wide top, it's going to be less effective at holding in the aromas. And then the other thing I think is just the visual. I mean, you can see from 360 degrees, you know, from the bottom. And, you know, maybe there is something that harkens a little bit to the world of wine, right? I mean, Uh wine glasses are not very different from tulip glasses in a lot of ways. Right. Are you saying there are a lot of pint glasses where you can't see 360 degrees around the glass? Well, I would say if you look at the the bottom of a shaker pint, it's not quite the same because the glass is thicker. Oh, so you're speaking sort of vertically, you can look up and down. I'm talking about looking from the bottom and the top. That's fair. Touche. I will say, comparing it to a wine glass, I feel that it's probably not as socially acceptable to drink wine straight from a bottle than it is <laughs> to drink beer well, it out depends of a can. on where you're from you know not true. yet justin not, not yet. yet night's young so chris it's funny you would say this and as the skeptic of the group i actually hand selected a special glass for you thank you and i would like you to enjoy the rest of your beer in this glass is it your shoe no okay. it's not all right oh why would you do that okay fair fair <laughs> Uh, Chris just decanted his Delirium Tremens from the tulip glass to a red solo pint cup with Mm -hmm. his name on it in Sharpie. Classy. That's right. I think that name came on it, right? You didn't even write that. That just came like that. Most of them do. (laughs) You got to go to the specialty store to get the Chris solo pint cups. It's worth it. I am getting a faint aroma of like some sort of polychemical plasticky production not an enjoyable thing off the cup itself, <laughs> which is unpleasant. And Sharpie. Maybe it's the Sharpie. That's a fair point. And not seeing this beer is kind of a real shame. Yeah, it is. After you just described how lovely it was in the glass. So. Yeah, no question. This does make me want to watch someone play beer pong, though, with <laughs> Delirium Tremens. <laughs> <laughs> See, the solo cups have a certain yeah, yeah. je ne sais quoi. Exactly. I'll tell you, after two more beers, we may be playing that game. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's some of those really elite colleges they do that, you know, like uh-huh. at... Uh, Yale. Yeah, they, they might do beer pong with delirium trimmings, you yeah, know. And probably. tulip glasses. <laughs> tulip glasses, yeah. 
No, I think your point is a fair one. I'm definitely not enjoying the beer as much out of a solo cup. I mean, seeing the beer is key. I'm I'm still a little skeptical as as the uh, the shaker pint versus tulip versus um, our first pint. I think there's less difference between the glassware than there is between this sharpie covered solo cup. This is <laughs> this is no longer a really enjoyable experience, to be honest. The walls are specifically thin on this type of glass and, and a lot of other beer glasses, too, that we may get into later. There's a big difference between a big, thick, frosty mug, thick glass and how it dumps where it dumps. And with the thin wall glass, it just drips so gently and delicately over the edge of the glass that I think is specifically noteworthy on these thin walled Belgian stemmed glasses. Okay. I'm with you. I, I do like the stem glass. That's a that's a lovely experience for sure. I think there's also just a, a little something psychological about saying this is a special beer and it has a special glass. Even if the sensory doesn't change that much, just psychologically, probably there's a, a, something to that. Well, that's kind of the the Boston Lager thing too, where like you can go to any Applebee's and get Boston Lager, but it has its own glass. And that's like their way of saying like, well, this beer is more special than any other beer that is on the board yeah. right now. Because look, it comes in this glass yeah. as opposed to a shaker pint. If anything, that almost makes me critical. Uh, no offense to Applebee's. Are they a sponsor of the? <laughs> Not Regardless. <yet. laughs> this might be a good time to say we are uh, open to sponsors. If well, yeah. anybody, anybody in the world who would like to sponsor this podcast, right. we Applebee's are included. Specifically <laughs> asking for Applebee's to give them a call. <laughs> <laughs> our num- uh, you can find us on the web. On yeah. all the socials. But it does make me wonder, you know, is glassware just clever marketing or does it make a difference? It's you know? definitely part of it. Actually, though, you totally do hit the nail on the head with the Belgian beers in particular that it is part of the marketing that you have this glass. And, you know, if there's two triples and they taste about the same and one has a really cool glass, maybe that's the one I'm going to order. You know, that's well, and, and maybe part of the experience isn't just the five senses, but also the I'm out on a special night. I get a special glass. It sort of uh, classes it up a little bit. And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, we shouldn't totally discount that either. And you get the eyes of all the people in the bar looking at you because you have that special glass yeah. in your hand. I get that anyway. Yeah. It's true. People are always looking at you. <laughs> it's because my name is right on my solo cup. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. No introduction needed. Well, also, while we're in Belgium, Pat, what's some other glasses that we could experience in Belgium shape-wise, other than the fact that every beer has its own glass? Aside from the vast number of glasses in Belgium, I think the next one I would talk about is the chalice. And I think I would point out to people the Orval chalice. Maybe we should describe it. So almost all the Trappist breweries are glass as a chalice. In contrast to the tulip, it has a very wide opening. If you've seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I mean, the Grail is a chalice, right? So one thing is why do the Trappist breweries go with a chalice? And that it has a religious connection. That's part mm-hmm. of it. And, you know, the other interesting thing about the Orval one, that's the reason why I picked that one, is because the architect who redesigned the new church at Orval, which is really a beautiful piece of Art Deco architecture, he also designed their chalice. His name was Henry Vase. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not kidding. <laughs> shit up, huh? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not making that up. Not and Henry Vase? It, pretty controversial. Well, V-A-E-S, <laughs> however you pronounce that. Uh, well, Chris, you're the Francophile in the room. We. Oui. 
Okay. So uh, <laughs> I would pronounce it Henri, actually, but that's fine. Henri, it, okay. it, it doesn't matter. Let's not quibble. <laughs> well, and, and then the other thing, there's a practicality to having that big open top. I mean, it doesn't trap in the aroma very well, but Orval is carbonated to plus four volumes of CO2. I mean, if you try and pour it into the tulip glass, even though Orval comes in an 11-ounce bottle, you're never going to get it in there. There's just way mm. too much head. So because mm-hmm. there's such carbonation and such head, that glass kind of helps dissipate that. And another thing to be said is it's kind of nice to have a glass that's the right size for the beer you're drinking. Sure. You know, as far as other Belgian glasses, I don't know. Um, we like, get the flute. The flute, and, yeah. and that would be the type that you know, lambic style mm-hmm. fruit beers. Also, the French jelly glass, which probably most people would know from Ugarden Wit beer. That's called the French jelly glass. That's interesting that they call it that. Chris, I'm sorry we had to punish you with solo cup, but it's what a skeptic deserves. That's fair. It was a little harsh, but it's fair. Harsh but fair. So I think uh, before we go any further, and are you guys' glasses empty too? They are. Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah, we should probably let you have one with the shaker pint. All right. So I brought some shaker pints, and let me extol the virtues of the shaker pint. As you can see, I brought four pint glasses, each with its own pithy, clever, or somehow sentimentally unique design on it, including one of the coveted Pat's Pints podcast pints. Ooh, aren't many people in the world that have that? I mean, you had to go to a very specific event, and that's something to be said for a lot of the shaker pints that I have in my cabinet, is that a lot of them, it's almost like the rock concert t-shirt. It's worn out, but you still wear it because even if you don't wear it, you want to keep it because you will lose that memory if you throw it away. Exactly. I kind of like that aspect of it. There's sort of the I remember where I was when I acquired this glass. There's sort of the collectability of visit your favorite brewery. They often offer a shaker pint glass that you can take home as a keepsake. Also, one thing I really like about them is when I have uh, friends over on my patio for 20 or 30 people to enjoy a beverage, I can get out 20 or 30 unique shaker pint glasses. And that way everyone knows, you know, public health safety is still a concern probably will be for a long time. So if I know that I'm drinking out of the Columbus Brewing Glass and that's going to be mine and you have the Strange Brew commemorative cup, I have a Beer is Love cup that I got from a a store. And so we all know, you know, it's not guessing. We don't have to write with Sharpies on our shaker pints. We all have unique (laughs) ones and we can remember them. And then we, we I know this is my glass and I like that aspect too. So it's kind of got all those things. Is it perfect glassware? Probably not, but uh, it gets the job done. And I think that's a good point. This is like the Ford pickup truck of glassware. It gets you where you're going. It's not going to leave you at the side of the road. You're going to hit a bump. You're going to bend a rim. You're still going to get home. It's not like the Ferrari where you can go really fast, but it's going to leak oil and you're going to have a bill for $5,000. It's just a good, honest glass. You can look through it 360 degrees. Exactly. Take a good look at your beer and drink it down and be happy. That's what I like about it. Well, what are we drinking with this pint glass? Well, you tell me. I have a cooler. There are six 12-ounce cans in it. What do you think is in the cooler? Okay, they're cans. But honestly, it's not super exotic. It's not super experimental and esoteric. It's a good, honest, if you see this beer somewhere where you're going. It's not what I think it was. You're just going to grab it and be happy and perfectly satisfied and enjoy the beer, and off you go. Um, okay, so I see a Columbus Brewing Company glass. That's true. That's the only. I mean, could uh, it be Columbus IPA or Bodie? 
It's the CBC IPA. Look at this. Look at, what a guess. I'm happy to have <laughs> a Columbus Brewing Company IPA in a Columbus Brewing Company branded pint glass. You can do a lot worse, that's for sure. Oh, that's great. Oh, look at that head. It's possible that I'm the oldest person on this podcast. It's I'm not right. just possible, it is. I might have you beat, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> so I do remember a pre-Shaker Pint beer world where I lived in southeast Idaho. What we drank draft beer out of before the Shaker Pint would have been... Potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, that is true. Well, yeah. we, not that, you know, we would hollow them out, just the, just the skins, of course. <laughs> exactly, you know. exactly. Uh, or, you know, uh, horns of various types, you know, bovine horns. But um, when we were going with inorganic materials for our containers, first of all, almost all draft beer was sold in 12-ounce glasses. Probably the closest equivalent would be a Pilsner glass. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when the Shaker Pine came out, I'm like, oh, man, I'm totally down. It's like four extra ounces. Four free ounces. Right, you know. Uh, I have to say those 12-ounce glasses, the, the standard price would have been $1. One dollar mm-hmm. per uh, per glass. Well, We're sh- talking like the 1930s here, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, shout out to all the Pat's Pints listeners in Mimico, Ontario, which is a small community just west of Toronto, home to Brendan Shanahan, Hockey Hall of Famer. Nice. Uh, but this was on the commuter train that I used to ride fairly often. Uh, just next to one of these commuter train stops was the Blue Goose Tavern. Okay. And I went by it so many times that one day I was just bored enough to get off the train in Mimico, uh-huh. wander over to the Blue Goose, and it was a classic neighborhood dive bar, but they served some sort of local macro lager, not great beer, in these, might have been like 10-ounce glasses, <laughs> and it was about a dollar, and everyone in the place was getting cheap, tiny chicken wings and cheap, tiny glasses of beer and having yeah. a ball. Canadian owned? Yeah. So it was like, what, like 50 cents? It was amazing. <laughs> it's probably proportional to the 10 well, ounce glass, you know. To the as point. we mentioned earlier, these rates fluctuate up and down. But so check your local <laughs> listings. <laughs> now, what kind of music did they listen to in Mimico? <laughs> well, that's a great question, Pat. The song I chose is from my favorite band, who happens to also be Canadian. It's a band called Sloan. Uh, they're the greatest band you've never heard of. It's a four piece power pop rock act originally out of Halifax, and uh, indeed, thank you, sir, now based out of Toronto. They're great. Every uh, performer contributes songs to the album and writes songs, and they share pretty equally. If you ever go see a show, they'll play a few songs, and then they'll all stand up and switch instruments, because whoever wrote the song ends up fronting the band for a few songs while they perform their songs and so on. So really great, really talented. And the song I've chosen is Money City Maniacs, probably their greatest hit, but a great way to introduce yourself to the band. And the reason this song pairs with this beer for me is because the second to last time I saw them in Columbus, they're one of these sort of local venues that frankly don't have a lot of great beers on tap, a lot of macro lagers. But I looked up and down the board, and I saw CBC IPA. And like we said earlier, if you see CBC IPA on the board, you know you can get it, you can drink it. That's a good, honest, tasty craft beer that you're always going to enjoy. So we went to see the show, uh, had a really nice beer, had a really good time, and that's why this beer pairs with that song for me. So if you think of the tragically hip as the Rolling Stones, that Rocky bluesy, Sloan's a little more beatly, a little more harmony. Okay. But they still rock pretty hard, so here they go. 
All right, so while we're enjoying this Columbus Brewing Company IPA in a Columbus Brewing Company shaker pint and other shaker pints, mm-hmm. why don't we run down a few more glasses? There's a lot of other countries, German, Austrian, what we want to call Bavaria, Czech Republic. What's a few others that you know over there, Pat? Well, let's go around uh, the circle, but I'm going to point to the dimpled mug, the kind of beer that you get in the Czech Republic. Is that called a dimpled mug? What is that called? It is. And actually, everyone in this room, I'm sure we all have our favorite mugs, right? And everybody out there listening, everyone has their favorite go-to glass. Even if you've got 100 glasses, you've got that one that you pick up the most frequently. And mine is a Polliner dimpled mug. I really think for a Pilsner, it is the quintessential vessel to have your beer in. Now, I just will say that shout out to CBC because when their tap room is open, you can get a Pilsner from a side pour faucet in a dimpled mug. It is really good. They do a great job. Justin? Well, being a, uh, a brewer at Land Grant and having brewed 1862 ale for probably the majority of my brewing life, so we don't have that on at all time anymore, but the uh, the Stange glass, or a lot of people call it the rod glass, tall cylindrical glass that in Germany, if you're ordering a Kolsch, actually, like they will just keep refilling this glass for you. If you don't put a, uh, I think it's a coaster on top of it, correct? So uh, yeah. that's right. If you don't want any more, you put your a coaster on top of yeah. the glass. You need to tell them, hey, I'm done drinking. But if you don't, they keep bringing you more beer, which is a great problem to have. Pat, you've been there in Cologne. Yep. And yep. isn't there a marking system on the coaster as well? Yeah, they just do a little mark like you're keeping score in a card game, you know, uh, with the dashes of how many beers you've drank. And I do have to say, I think that is a mark of an advanced society when the assumption is we're just going to keep bringing you beer until you tell us you don't want any more. We trust you that you can control yourself. Exactly. In this bar. (laughs) And the default setting is more beer. Yeah, that's a good default, Pat. I'm not sure if you can be trusted <laughs> well, in that situation. <laughs> uh, it might not be a good system for me personally, but I think for a society as a whole, it's yeah, not for a bad system. Okay. Yes, yes, okay. Yes, okay. Not, now, none of the people currently talking on this podcast would be able <laughs> to handle living in cold. But. Uh, an addendum to that is uh, that's also the tradition and the same glass in Dusseldorf with the alt beer. Okay. I did not know that. Hmm. Even though they're bitter rivals, and you would never find one of the other's beers in the other city, they do have the same glassware and they do bring it in the same manner and they still just keep serving you until you fall down or you tell them you don't want any more. This is like a Clintonville Old North situation, though, where they're just like, that's an alt beer glass. (laughs) (laughs) Where you're just like, I mean, it's a Kolsch glass, but... (laughs) Not around here, it's not, No, it's not. We don't call it that. Well, we do like to give travel tips on the show. And That's so, right. uh, you know, mind your P's and Q's. And if you're in Köln, call it a Kolsch glass. And if you're in Dusseldorf, an alt beer glass. But Stenga, it's called Stenga in both Stenga. Yeah. That's right. So another tall glass is the Pilsner flute, which is very well known. Very tall, cylindrical, flutes out, thus its description. And this is a showcase of yep. the brilliance of the beer. I mean, one thing to be said and we're going to go back to a little bit of science here, is the thicker the walls of the glass and just the thickness of the glass, so how much beer is in it, will make it seem darker. And so a Pilsner flute 
is a pretty narrow glass and reasonably thin-walled. And so it just makes what's already supposed to be a light-colored beer look even more light-colored. Yeah. Now, one that is essential to me. So if we took that Pilsner flute, dropped a stem off of it, some have a stem, some don't, and then we combine that into a tulip glass, very tall, and Pat made probably one of the best home-brewed Weissens I've ever had in my life. Thank you, sir. Just last summer, the Weissen vase. And I truly think that Hefeweizen only deserves to be displayed in this glass. Well, it's a little bit like the Orval Chalice in the sense that, I mean, Hefeweizen is supposed to pour with a really big head. And mm -hmm. so you need a glass that has a lot more volume than the amount of beer you're going to put into it. And it's also a super aromatic beer, right? And that glass checks all the boxes. Now, a glass that has a fun name, maybe its name might even be more fun than the glass, the Willie Becker. Right? Is that how you pronounce that, Mark? That's right. The Willy Becker, and that's really common throughout Europe, actually. It's almost like the tulip pint, you know, back in the UK, yeah. except for it doesn't cut back in. So it just graduates out to a larger shape at the top and just keeps going. I would describe it as a cross between the tulip pint, which we started with, and the Stang. I think we are missing one that we have down. And I think I would be doing my ancestors disservice by not bringing it up. The Stein. Actually, this might be a good point to interject that, of course, if you go back far enough, people didn't really drink out of glass. They drank out of uh, stoneware, you know, pottery and things like that. It's fair to say that it caused a real shift in brewing when people started drinking beer out of a glass. Beers got lighter. People started worrying about the appearance of the beer. Yeah, sure. If you're, you know, if you're drinking out of pottery, no one cares. You could just see the head, right? You don't see what you know. It doesn't matter <laughs> if it's hazy or clear or brilliant yeah. or you know, yellow or amber. You know, if you want to drink your beer one liter at a time, the Stein is the way to go. Which why wouldn't you? Well, when yeah. did glassware become more prominent? I think that would have been. In the 18th century, probably. I don't know this off the top of my head, but this is just what I'm thinking. 18th century. The origin of Pilsner is, if I remember correctly, about 1840 or whatever. I'm pretty sure that by that time, drinking beer out of a glass was established. Right. I think the fact that people could see their beer drove the brewers and the, and the maltsters more than anything to try and find ways to make the beer look more appealing. Well, yeah, I mean, if I'm stuck drinking out of this stupid red Solo cup, I got bigger things to worry about than how clear my beer <laughs> yeah. is. That's for damn sure. You know, if the world was still on Solo cups, we might still be drinking Bruits. Dark ages, man. <laughs> <laughs> so before we go into the modern era of even more glasses, uh, how about the boot? Has anybody ever got one of those like as a novelty or had one of the very large boot-shaped glasses? I have to admit... Explain the difference between a boot and a yard. So a uh, boot looks like a boot. <laughs> like it's actually like a glass shoe. Well, that's actually very clear. I totally understand yeah, the difference. So that's, so that's the difference. Is there a standardized volume for a boot or it could be any size? I think any, mine's probably 16 ounce. But I think mine's a half liter. I've seen like huge ones. Like so the huge ones, when the beer ends up getting down into the heel... It will bring up a pocket of air mm -hmm. into it, so you have to rotate the glass around 
to be able mm. to drink it without it blowing up and going all over your face. Oh, Justin knows his boots. Next level beer pro tips. It's a mess, and they're not fun to drink out of. Um, Better yeah. than a yard or no? I'd rather have a yard glass. I think, actually, what you're saying, Justin, is important in a way that it kind of illustrates why almost all beer glasses are symmetric in the lateral direction. Yep. There is no real good reason to make an asymmetric beer glass. Other than for a German general talking about how they were going <laughs> to celebrate by drinking out of his boot. If there my experience watching Hogan Heroes leads me to any conclusion, it's that German generals underappreciate rotational symmetry. And if, uh, I don't know, I feel like Hogan's Heroes is probably a very uh, apt and... Uh, <laughs> I believe it was a documentary, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah. I think it was. About Hogan's Heroes. I know nothing. I see no evil. I hear no evil. <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe this would be a good time to come back across the pond. Yeah. Let's have another beer. Never a bad idea. Well, pretty new to this century, the Spiegel Owl is a big deal. I think the first one was the IPA glass. Oh, hey. The IPA glass? Justin, is that yours? That's my glass. Look at that. Well, we did just have an IPA in a shaker glass, so I think this should be a, a good comparison for Chris over here. Let's do it. But do you guys have any guesses about what IPA you might be enjoying, which is like a, the dumbest thing, because there are so many in the market right now. That yeah, this, I it, mean, like the chances of you guys getting this right are going to be very minimal. Oh, sure. It's a Middle West uh, brewery. Oh, you think helps. it's so sure? No, no, I'm just agreeing <laughs> with the man. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that means something other than beer, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it, does. it can. It can. It can. So when you say Middle West, you mean it's from the Midwestern United States? Yes. Okay. Well, that that narrows it down somewhat, but not a lot. 8.7% alcohol. Oh. Can you see through the beer? No. Oh. Tastes like hazy. We might guess a hoof hearted. You are incorrect. Did not nail it. Now, is 8.7%, is that an IPA? That's not double IPA it is territory? A double, it's technically a double IPA. Okay, okay. We're getting closer. No, it's not concentrate, is it? It is not a land grant or an Ohio. Okay. Ooh, uh, okay. I went out of the box with this one. This is I a like beer it. that I have been jamming on recently. This is probably not right because I don't think the ABV is right. But it does offer me a chance to talk about glassware and visual appearance. I was thinking Hetty Topper. And as you may know, Hetty Topper, if you look at the cans, it drinks from the can. Drink from the can. Do mm-hmm. not pour this into a glass. Which I am surprised they have not changed that. So the reason initially was Hetty Topper kind of gained its fame in the age of IPAs need to be clear. If they're not clear, you guys are doing something wrong in your process. So that was their way of skirting around that to be like, well, if they don't know what it looks like, they just know it tastes really good. <laughs> They won't care. Now you have a whole, let's say, genre of beer that has pretty much been the spawn of Hetty Topper, the New England IPA, mm-hmm. that pretty much look like someone put a bullion cube in your IPA. <laughs> and there's just kind of like no buts about it. It's just like, yeah, my beer looks like a yeast slurry, and that's just how it is. I mean, there are breweries who put flour 
into the beer so yeah. it will look hazy. And right? we'll tell people that they do that. Yeah. Yeah, you I am surprised it. that Hetty Topper hasn't... It still says it on the can. Actually, mm-hmm. you can trace the whole hazy style back to that to them. one singular point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which you can't do that with a lot of styles. I mean, some you can, but many you cannot. Now, Hetty Topper is from... Vermont. 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 Yeah. Would you consider Vermont a Midwestern state? I would definitely not consider <laughs> okay. Vermont to be a, a mid. I would not either, state. but I want to be clear. All right, I can't take any more. Justin, we need a reveal. Oh, boy. Here we what go, What do everyone. we have for our Spiegel Owl IPA glass? Ladies and gentlemen, we have King Sue. Oh, from Toppling, Topping Goliath. Goliath. Oh, what company. a great brewery. Yeah. What a great brewery. I'm very excited. Awesome. For our listeners, this can is uh, got the Tyrannosaurus Rex on it. It's really good branding, I have to say. Because, of course, Sue is a famous T-Rex skeleton, right? Correct. Yep. Was Sue found in Iowa? I am not positive about that. <laughs> I know this beer was, it's a collaboration with the Field Museum in Chicago, oh. which is where Sue resides. That's right. Alrighty. Oh, man. I smell citra. Pat, you're losing beer over there. <laughs> you were doing the commercial. Uh, I was just commercial about to pour. say, the beautiful thing about this glass is you can pour a 16-ounce beer and do it, and it totally fits. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you pour it like I just poured yeah. this beer. <laughs> Not with that much head. Since you guys can't see this glass at home, this is probably going to be the uh, the weirdest-looking glass that we've had on so far. So this was uh, actually made in uh, 2013 in collaboration with uh, Spiegelau. Sierra Nevada, or Ken Grossman, and uh, Sam Calgione of Dogfish Head, where they wanted to create a glass that would amplify those like citrusy, like orange tangerine character that a lot of hoppy beers had at the time. So it is like a conical at the bottom that kind of phalanges up into a basically a tall tulip. But the conical on the bottom is also ribbed. The purpose for that ribbing is actually, as you drink, allegedly, it is supposed to knock more CO2 into suspension. So it continues to contribute to the head of the beer, which allows for you to uh, get more aroma from the beer that you have in your hand. Yeah, and I wouldn't even say allegedly because I always note that you just have a constant head on your beer when you're drinking out of this glass. Yeah. Even if you have like a beer that has pretty poor head retention. It brings it to life. Yeah. It will really make a beer pop, which I think this glass was probably the first ever beer glass that I was just like, wow. Glasses do actually make a difference in the flavor and aroma of beers. It's probably a good time to say that the whole carbonation thing is what brings the aromatics out of the beer to your nose, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, And the fact that it comes back in in that tulip shape. Helps hold those bottle aromatics into the glass. So every time you put your nose at the top, you're smelling more and more. And I don't know whether it's on all of the Spiegelau glasses. I have the dogfish head glass currently in my hand. And on the bottom, there's actually a laser etched logo in the center that acts as a uh, nucleation site for CO2. Mm-hmm. So that will channel CO2 bubbles directly up to the top of the glass for even more aroma. Really keeps your beer alive. But man, talking about holding in aromas, I mean, like so much like mango, orange, pineapple juice type of thing, and and maybe just a splash of grapefruit. Yeah. Uh, It's so juicy, so aromatic. It's a Citra Imperial IPA. So you are getting a lot of those like really, really bright citrusy characters from it. A little bit of that 
as we like to say it, uh, Langret, the gooseberry character as well oh, comes through. Sure. Got to have that gooseberry. I mean, this glass is just an aroma delivery vehicle, basically. Yeah, right. it and, definitely is. And I know Mark kind of touched upon it earlier that with these new modern American glasses, you do kind of run the risk of shattering them easily because they are definitely very fragile. Very similar to like a nice wine glass. It's the same thing where it's just like you just got to take care of your stuff. Got to take care of them. Yeah. Don't don't just blindly put them in your dishwasher. Come <laughs> yeah. on. No, no. They actually they give you a uh, polishing rag with them. So uh, Spiegel has got it down pat here for uh, proper glassware maintenance. Yeah, yeah. And Spiegel as a company have had a lot of very craft beer specific glassware and shapes. They had the stout in 2014 with left hand, right? And rogue. Yep. How about the American wheat beer? Did somebody have a part in that too? It's Bells for think, Oberon. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Cool. And then there's also another glass that makes Oberon pop like man. big time. Hmm. Which drinking Oberon in a shaker pint at just like your run of the mill bar and then having a bottle of that and taking it home, it, you get so much more citrusy character out of that. Yeah. And it's insane. How I've got to try is. this. I oh, have yeah. this. It's glass. super tasty. Have you guys ever been to an establishment that served almost all their beers in Spiegelau glasses? No. That sounds expensive. I've been to one place. Now, where was that? Rogue Brewery on the Oregon coast in the Rogue Brewery tap room. Almost really? all the glasses were Spiegelau glasses when I uh, went there. My, I guess, general thought with the Spiegelau glasses has been more for a uh, home experience. And I think it is just because they're so hard to take care of. Like, I could not imagine... Like a high volume bar or brewery trying to put this glass through a three tiered sink with scrub brushes, you're going to shatter glass after glass after glass. And these are not cheap. So they are very fragile. But if you do have a glass that is still intact, it does definitely amplify the drinking experience. Well, I have to tell you, as the token uh, skeptic, I'm a little leery of these glasses. They're expensive. They're high maintenance. They're kind of like the Ferrari, like we talked about earlier of, you know, they go really fast, but maybe they leak oil and an oil change is $5,000. They're pretty. They're neat looking. I poured about three, four ounces of this beer into one of my shaker pints because, as you know, I'm a man of science and I want the data. I'm drinking them side by side, taking a sip of each. And this glass does make a difference on the aromatics. I don't know if it's the tulip shape is maybe... Uh, a big part of it, because I'm not down into the sort of the, the ribbed for her pleasure section of the glass <laughs> just yet. But definitely when I pull it up to my mouth, my nose goes into the tulip shaped top portion and I get all the aromatics. And when I take a sip from the shaker pint, it's more diffuse and I, I don't get the aromatics. So it's it's a different experience and, and I get more out of this glass, at least from the tulip shape. Now, I'm a little leery of the if I get four of them. Will only two survive to the second time I have beer out of them? I mean, that's a that's a concern. That's when you just start drinking delicate. out of cans again. But I do think the tulip shape. There's definitely something to be said for containing the aromatics. I will say I brought two of these glasses that we're drinking today. I, I have had them since 2016, so they they've lasted for four years. Yeah, Impressive. I had I had three of them, and now I have two, and I have had them since 2015. So 
I've had every damn shaker punt I've always owned ever for always and ever. I, I don't agree with that because I've broken a few because they stack them. And, yeah. the, the stacking is the one place where you can Stacking's break them. I might have lost one, but I mean, I have 40 spares. So, I mean, I, I get what <laughs> you're saying. Strength in numbers. Are, these are a little saying. delicate. <laughs> these well, are Chris, delicate. as a Ford truck driver, isn't it fun to take a ride in Justin's Ferrari? I mean, yeah, thanks nice for bringing for this beer, Justin. It's so good. Yeah, this is tasty for sure. The whole reason I picked this beer, I really wanted to, to showcase kind of the uh, the new age IPA, which I think that did work out really well, taste in CBC IPA right before this, because you got the CBC IPA and the Shaker Pint, which is very much like a 90s to a uh, early 2000s thing, and this is kind of where the craft beer world is moving to right now, which I think is super neat. Uh, this is a great beer. It's a yeah. fantastic beer. It is definitely, like, this has become a beer that if I see it on shelves with a decent date, it's a no-brainer. And at one point in time, of course, you couldn't get Toppling Goliath in Ohio at all. So, no, this is yeah. recent. I yeah. think it was like maybe end of last year. So I have to say, when I went to Toppling Goliath, I don't know, it's on the blog post how long ago that was. Probably but, about three years ago, Pat. I can remember two, three years ago, you bringing some back. Yeah, I, w- I did this drive. I, I bought a car from my dad, the uh, Pontiac Solstice, the Batmobile, as you called it. And then I, I drove back right. across... Uh, Jazz from Transformers for those Transformers fans out there. <laughs> that, that's a, what he Pony, He's a Pontiac. So okay. Constant, it, it's constant actually, speed. it's a great car. It's a great car. So I drove back across the U.S. And I, and I made three stops on the way back. So I went to Toppling Goliath and then New Glarus and then wow. three Floyds. So That's a fun trip. Yeah, that, that, was, a, that was a really You're fun trip. Not doing trip. too bad, for sure. And, but, but when I went to Toppling Goliath, they didn't have Pseudo Sioux or King Sioux. They were sold out or they just yeah. didn't have it on? Uh, they were sold. They were sold out. I mean, okay. you have to remember that now we're just like, oh, everybody could use Citra hops in their beer. Yeah. But you know, if we go back a few years, it was hard to get Citra hops. What uh, is it? Alpha King from Three uh, Three yep. Floyds is their yep. Citra uh, IPA, right? Well, zombie we'll dust. Have to or... Zombie dust. Zombie dust. So yeah. zombie dust is the Citra, and I remember as soon as that just started randomly showing up at stores in Columbus, people were losing their mind because yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Citra even five years ago, was just a hop that people were, though they were using it, it wasn't It wasn't as big as it currently is, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, still a great hop. So something that is totally missing. I've got a glass. I've got a great beer. I'm thinking it's a great combination. What is the song oh my for God. Justin that embodies the spirit of the beer in glass. So there are so many ways to go with this beer, whether it is uh, a song from the band T-Rex. That's what I was oh, thinking. Oh, that'd okay. be good. Okay. That worked. What, uh, Boy Named Sue would have been a good one. <laughs> for well. sure. Sure, <laughs> yep. yeah. Um, well, no, Johnny Cash. There's a whole bunch of different different ways of going about it, but I went the uh, difficult route. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, Sue is on display currently in Chicago at the Field Museum. That is a uh, this beer is a collaboration with them. So I wanted to keep it in Chicago. If you guys know me, you know I'm a big fan of the band Wilco. Um, so oh yeah, Jeff Tweedy in the mid '90s did a side project with a couple of guys from the band uh, the Jayhawks, and they called the project Golden Smog. They've got a song called uh, Radio King, and I think that song is probably this beer sonically, I guess. Nice. 
just because it is a it's a very simple song. Uh, there's nothing crazy about this beer. I know it is a hazy, but it is it's a Citra double IPA. They don't do anything that weird with it. They kept it super simple, and that was kind of the thought with it. I didn't want to come up with like a crazy dinosaur themed metal song and just be like yeah because it's a double ipa it's insane i was so, thinking maybe godzilla by blue yeah. oyster cult that would have been a good mm-hmm. one as well there's there's so many dinosaur or reptile themed songs you, that you could have even gone dinosaur jr that's what i'm saying there's oh, so yeah. many options but i i appreciate the simplicity of the song that i picked yeah it's Baby, great it's great yeah. well done and like if i'm drinking a beer like this i want to savor it and I want to like just kind of sit down and relax and listen to every note. And I think that is that song in a nutshell. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't listen to that song out of a plastic solo cup. I would not either. But I'd listen to it out of this glass. My Lamborghini. Oh, yeah. Now, I thought it was a Ferrari. I'm getting lost now. Well, is it a Ferrari? I was saying Ferrari, but I mean, what's the difference in the it's end? Italian it's supercars a, or Italian supercars? I feel like this is a Lamborghini, but okay. I respect that. Well, hey, this has been an excellent time hanging out with you guys. And I think okay. we got to wrap it up. We're getting lost for time. I'm sure there's a lot of beer glasses we missed. So, listeners, thanks for joining us on this journey. Yeah. Justin, Chris, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. Yep. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I've definitely enjoyed the diversity of beers and glassware. Peace out to y'all. Go drink a Lamborghini. Or a Ferrari. Since Spiegelau is German, I think Porsche would be the right uh, analogy. You're true. Yeah, that is right. Nailed it. That was a mic drop. (laughs) 